Welcome to Trine Days, The Journey, conversations with publisher Chris Milligan. I am Bruce DeTorres. With us is Christopher Fulton, co-author of The Inheritance, Poisoned Fruit of JFK's Assassination, the amazing story of how he came to possess key evidence in the assassination, passed from Bobby Kennedy to Evelyn Lincoln to Christopher, which caused him to cross paths with the Russian government, President Reagan, the Clinton White House, Donald Trump, and the Justice Department. How Christopher made a secret pact with John F. Kennedy Jr. regarding the disposition of that evidence. And how Christopher was brutally incarcerated by the federal government as they tried to keep that evidence from seeing the light of day. This history must be known in order for us to understand what is happening today. Although this is Christopher's story, it is really about all of us. Gentlemen, hello. Christopher, thank you very much for... Uh... Uh, coming on, and I I was sitting uh, right here in this chair when I got uh, a first phone call from you. I, I didn't quite understand it. He was talking about, well, jail and the JFK assassination, and he told me Robert Groden had given my number and whatnot, and I says, well, if, you, if your book doesn't say that Lee Harvey Oswald did it, it won't get anywhere anyway. I, I mentioned that I, I publish these books, uh, Skyhorse, and then Feral House publishes the books, and then also it's a good time to, uh, you can self-publish and whatnot. And then it must have been almost a year later that it, you, re, you called again, and because you'd been trying to get it through a couple other places and nobody would do it. Once you sent me the manuscript, I finally understood the story, and I says, yeah. Uh, this needs to be uh, published and, and the people need to uh, learn about it. I thought it was uh, quite revelatory uh, in many of the things that it said. It created another situation where me as a publisher, I'm having to say, yeah, this person is, is real and you should look at this story. And so, Chris, what has been the biggest thing that has happened to you since the book came out? Uh, that would be uh, that would be the birth of my son. <laughs> Wonderful. If I didn't say that, my wife would be on me very quickly. <laughs> right. So obviously that that's that's the the answer to that question. But the uh, I have been inundated. Uh, I just signed a book off to a, to a, a colonel, which is the chief uh, judge, military in the U.S. Army. Uh, just recently, I've been I've talked to the State Department regularly. I talked to uh, many type of individuals that uh, have helped. Uh, add information a little bit here and there to the story once they've read the book they've they've been affected by and the real problem as i see it is the american people don't have access to the correct information whether it be the kennedy's assassination or that whether it be 9-11 and so forth and so on they are they're made to believe these uh these narratives that come maybe within an hour of the event which gets psychologically imprinted into the mind once this event takes place and they never really go beyond that to, to, to insist or demand as a nation what the actual truth of these matters is, because if they did, uh, the powers that be understand that the, the agenda will not be followed. If you, give, if you tell people this is what we're going to do and we're going to take your democracy away, they're not going to agree with that. They're not going to go along with that. But if you give them a, an, a, an alternative uh, scenario where they're in cooperation for, out of fear or they're in cooperation out of uh, any other uh, concern, whether it be uh, this virus that we're talking about and so forth and so on, then they're going to jump on board that wagon and they're going to they're going to assist in their own demise. And of course, if they have the truth of these matters, they would never they would understand that they're being manipulated to 
terribly to begin with, and they wouldn't jump on this bandwagon. They wouldn't. They wouldn't jump on the on the train that's going off the cliff, because Amen. our freedoms and our uh, our country are are extremely important. People have died and fought for that. It's unique in the world, and it's important. And, and therefore, uh, I found it an obligation for myself to share the story as best that I could at the time that I did it, and then discuss it uh, as truthfully as I could, and hopes that the people can make their own decisions, redo their own research, and then help them uh, see things a little more clearly, for, make decisions for their family, so forth, so on. Yeah, now, now is the time for all good men to come to the aid of their country. And I really think that now is the time that we can rise above uh, these false narratives that we've been fed and the psychological warfare uh, that has been used to divide our country. I, I think that the ability uh, of, of the American people to actually become united is here. And what it's gonna take is you're absolutely right. We have to get the correct narrative. We have to get the correct information, you know, because you can't know where you're at until you know where you've been. You know, and we have been quote unquote screwed, you know, for, for many years. We can have in the, the proper information. We can make the proper decisions. I mean, it was very good to see with uh, Georgia. Okay, one thing that happened there in Georgia was we went to uh, paper ballots instead of electronic voting machines. And a paper ballot is way much better than an electronic voting machine that you can never verify. And that's what has been used for the past 50 years is electronic voting machines owned basically by the mob to control our elections, which then controls our narrative. So the first thing we have to get back is an honest vote. And we're getting there, we're getting there. There is still electronic black box uh, voting machines being used in some states but you can see what happens when a state goes from electronic voting machines to actual paper ballots. So I truly think that now is the time for us as people to stand up and demand our constitution, demand our country be what it is, if I can be so bold. Well, one of, one of the things that uh, being on the inside of the, with, with the Justice Department, my attack, you know, my, my battle with them and CIA and so forth, gave me a, a lot of clarity. One of the things that they taught me in there was you, what, what they do is they follow the money, always follow the money. And uh, when I met with uh, the president's son, uh, John Kennedy Jr., that's what he was doing the time that I met him. He was following the money. And uh, he was on a path to, uh, to help this country greatly, a lot more than people understand they know. There's no narrative that covers what I what I experienced with John, none. Can you? I need to discuss. I need that. to discuss this at some point. Well, I hope to at at, uh, at the near future, but I have to get this out at one time and, and in complete form, so the American people can, uh, can can analyze that for themselves and make the decisions for themselves. But the people that I was involved with at the time were putting their lives on the line to prevent. Uh, the, the narrative that we see now to prevent what was what was uh, to come. It was well in advance of, of knowledge of what was what was going to happen, including 9-11. OK, this is not an unknown narrative. This was a very known narrative to the people on the inside of this. And uh, we wanted to stop it. We don't want to see a country that we don't recognize for our children. And this is something that I I made a pact with John to put our lives on the line and do what we had to do and support that idea that we were gonna make a change. Of course, it did go, didn't go well. 
I wound up in prison for a very long time and had to make a deal with the devil to protect my family and to protect innocent parties and had to uh, hurt myself in the process. But John, of course, paid with it with his life. And this is something that I take very seriously and that I have to honor uh, to, to, to him and to others, especially the President Kennedy and uh, his brother, who lost their lives early in this fight. But it's, uh, it's the American people now that have to, it's we the people, the first three words of the Constitution that we have to concentrate on now. We the people, there's a reason for that. And we have to take our citizenship and responsibilities uh, seriously at this juncture. There's uh, nobody going to come save us. Can, can you talk a little bit about the brain and the reinterment of Kennedy's body? You know, because uh, that's really not talked about very much. The brain obviously would have shown a clarity of what happened and what took place in Dallas. And that had to be, uh, that had to be removed. And Bobby Kennedy was doing everything he could to keep evidence for his own review of his brother's death so he could keep control and review this and, and reveal this to the American public when he reached the, uh, the White House in 68. He realized that if he did not take, go for the White House in 68, the Vietnam War was out of hand. There's been many lies that were being uh, perpetrated, uh, uh, the Gulf of Tolkien being one and many others. He felt an obligation to his brother who had died before him to, to course correct and go for the presidency in 68 and then reveal this to the American public. Of course, he never got the chance to do that. But the internment had a lot to do with uh, the evidence and then trying to control that evidence. And uh, Bobby Kennedy was doing the best he could to juggle a lot of balls in the air uh, for peace as his brother was, was, a, uh, was there for peace. He believed, President Kennedy believed that humanity could set its own course, yep. that the problems made by humanity could be solved by humanity. And therefore, we, we're not, we're not going to be steered by these agendas of the powerful elite and the people that have gotten out of control and drunk with power. Too much money and no oversight creates too much power. And therefore, the electoral process that you talk about and, and so dear to our country is uh, subverted in so many ways. And the president has to take orders from individuals that, uh, that have this power. And this is an ongoing problem. Right now in this country, any elected official that goes into our executive branches of government is compromised <clears throat> with information that's kept in Germany, away from this country. This has been done by uh, subverting through the uh, CIA, NSA, and so forth. So as we as a country are not being represented properly in any capacity. Our, our system has been subverted. Right. So yeah. now it's up to us to ask the right questions and to, and to reveal this. And that's my... Uh, my personal take on my personal opinion, of course. What you said you were John Jr. was was following the money. What money was he following? Can you give us any enlightenment there? I can't. But if, if any American should be interested in this, it should be the money that's the dark money that's that's that the CIA has used in conjunction with the executive office as permission to gain operational control anywhere in the world without gaining uh, oversight from the intelligence community or the, co or the Congress have to, have to deal with them in any way or expose ongoing operations around the world. That money has got, they've got accounts all over the world with huge amounts, vast amounts of, of money and wealth. Yeah. And therefore yeah. Uh, they can operate with impunity and immunity. Right. And right. That absolute power corrupts absolutely. That yeah. is the problem that we're dealing with because this country was founded with separation of, of government and checks and balances. We don't longer have those those proper checks and balances. Now, are, are you aware of the Treaty of Fort Hunt? Uh, not off the top, I'm not, no. Okay, well, the Treaty of, of Fort Hunt was a uh, an agreement with uh, 
Richard Galen. Uh, and basically, it, he, he was brought into the intelligence services. The piece of paper he signed says, well, yeah, you're going to work with us, but your main allegiance is with Germany. So there is some uh, backup evidence for kind of what you're talking about there. Uh, well, I've got a lot of backup. I've got a lot of backup evidence. It just hasn't been shown yet. <laughs> I have documentary evidence that the American people has not seen. Well, so I'm, I'm, <clears throat> we hope we get there. Well, let's uh, let's get there now. Let's let's talk a little bit about Hollywood because I've been dealing with them for Lord have mercy. I mean, I started trying day about 20 years ago and I started dealing with Hollywood about 18 years ago. So many different scenarios. People have been trying to make uh, our books into movies and they get stopped every time. I mean, the most amazing one was the, uh, the guy who had been the executive producer for 24. And he saw how the powers that be were using 24 to propagandize the American people. And so he, <laughs> he started looking around to see if he could find you know, other stories. He came across our site and said, oh, well, here's a few. And so he wanted to make uh, three of our books into movies and I uh, went down there and they had meetings and, you know, they brought in other producers, other, other, other people. And it was just amazing. I mean, people came off the street into the offices. Oh, you can't make those movies. They started getting weird phone calls that were uh, uh, traced to uh, back offices of, of the FBI. Uh, the guy was chased around town. He called me up one time and says, well, you know, they're trying to get me fired. Uh, they are uh, spreading a rumor that I'm selling uh, Oxycontin at night on sunset. He says, well, my boss knows I'm not doing that, so it's okay. And so they continued on. And then finally he calls me and he says, well, I've got to take a sabbatical for two weeks. And I says, what's going on? He says, well, somebody met my wife on a street corner and said, you know, if your husband doesn't stop what he's doing, we're going to kill him. And then you, what are your children going to do? I'm saying, wow. Okay. And so then he calls me back up in two weeks and says, well, I guess we're just making Will Ferrell movies. You know, I mean, we had the 50th anniversary of the Kennedy assassination and we get Parkland, you know? I mean, there's obviously be, uh, control mechanisms going there because, you know, people got kids and we, we try and teach our kids, right? You know, but let me tell you, uh, that movie screen and that TV screen generally teaches our kids a lot more than what we do. You know, so there's a reason why they have kept that control mechanism. And I'm hoping that we can bust through it because every day there is more and more places to show theatrical movies, documentaries, and every day the cost on making them gets less and less. So the power of the people gets better every day. I couldn't agree more what you're saying and uh, again, the problem is too much control. You know, good people have tried to step out and speak about the truth to help the country, whether that be uh, Snowden, who's uh, stuck over there in Moscow or wherever he is in Russia, or whether that be uh, Julian Assange, who I've, you know, through the back door, tried to get him uh, help to be free him up. These people did what I did, no different. We asked permission. We tried to go through channels and say, listen, this, ne this narrative needs to be discussed. It's important for the American people to understand this, and we want some support in releasing this. In each case that we've done this, it's been a mistake. Every one of us has paid an enormous price for knocking on that door. 
every one of us. And so what, what happens is, is the good people that are trying to help and putting everything on the line never get a chance to be heard properly. They never get a chance to have their full stories explored and get enough access that the, the American people can see this in a consensus that changes the damn narrative. Right. And, and that's the problem. We've, we have not fixed the problem. We keep, fix, we keep patching up this machine that it's terribly broken, thinking it's going to represent us and get us down the road and we're going to get to someplace better. The machine's breaking down. It's been broken for a long time and it needs a, an overhaul. And unfortunately, I don't want to see it overhaul paid with enormous amounts of blood. I'd like it to be something that we can raise above that as Americans and, and the world and say, listen, let's, let's just take the power back and discuss this correctly and demand the correct answers. We are doing that. I mean, like I say, yeah. the, uh, the thing that, that, that Stacey Abram, Abrams did there in Georgia and got rid of the electronic voting machines and went to a paper ballot to go to an honest vote because a, a democratic republic without an honest vote is not a democratic republic. It's somebody's plaything that, they, that they've been playing with, okay? The, the other thing that I see happening too is, you know, conspiracy theory is used all the time uh, to muddy the waters. And they're using a lot of um, uh, maybe the rhetoric that has been developed by us people that have been, you know, looking at the JFK assassination and these other perfidities for a long time, I, I see, you know, people trying to use that rhetoric in, in, a, in a different way to stuff real conversation and real dialogue. You know, you, you look at, at, at classical education and one of the big things that you, you had, you had rhetoric and you had dialectic, okay? And what the dialectic there meant was we have a problem. I'm sure that if we talk about it, we can figure it out and figure out the problem. A lot of the problem has been is we haven't had honest elections and we haven't had honest communications. I've seen as a dynamic for a long time is that the boomers, we were not supposed to cohere as a generation. We were supposed to be a pieced out, drugged out generation. We did cohere. We cohered as hippies around a joint being smoked around a circle with a little bit of LSD thrown in. And then what came out of the hippies was a personal computer and the internet. And that's the dynamic that we're using to take back our lives and our country from this corruption, from these people using secrecy to lie, cheat, and steal. It's a dynamic and it, it you one know, of, one of the things dynamics I've, take time. One of these things I'd like to share with you here now that I have not spoken with before, and I think it's important because of what you brought up specific. And I, and I addressed this earlier as the compromise. From the Oval Office recordings that I have that I know that have not been released to the public and are tentative for me, that have been a problem for me for 25 years, is that President Kennedy under, under national emergency, and I stress the word national emergency, was given direction and told what to do. That's compromise. Right. As the chief executive, he was not, he was not able to make these decisions on his own. What Kennedy did was subvert those directions and come out with a, the best solution between him and his brother, which pissed everybody off. Yeah. Okay. No, John now, in 1962, an in 1962, and he tried to inform the American public. He made several key speeches that, that make perfect sense when you know what I know 
He's trying to tell the American public we have a problem. We are at war, a silent and secret subvert war. In 1962, if the president of the United States had that much direction and was told to do what to do, how do you think it is now? So we think that we're going to go out and have an have a, have a election process that's going to put a candidate in there that's going to represent the people of the United States. Even if their intent is good, even if he's an honest man, the compromise is overwhelming. Well, I, I'm just like still... you said, we all have families. We all have families. We all love our children. We all live in this planet, and we have to figure out the best way forward and the best course. But if the best course is going to be sabotaged continually over and over again, what what does that mean for the rest of us? Well, how do we get there? I'm into holding uh, people's feet to the fire and, you know, the people in power's feet to the fire and push them beyond what uh, they think can happen. I mean, I I was told here over and over again about uh, marijuana um, that we couldn't legalize it. Okay, and even after we, we started working on it, I, I got a call from one of my authors. He said, there's this guy from Arizona trying to call me. I, I don't want to talk to him. He's talking uh, government and stuff. So I, I called this guy up in, in, in Arizona and he was a, a medical grower there. And he had an uncle that was high up in the IRS and they were having some family get together and the uncle was getting drunk. And the uncle said, well, you know, you aren't going to be able to do that anymore. We're going to we're going to retake it over. We're going to, you know, we're going to, we're going to do it. And he, he talked about that they'd had this meeting in Chicago with the governor of Illinois and the governor of New Jersey and stuff and, and how they were going to take it all back. Well, we confirmed the meeting and everything and, and found out about it. One thing they were doing is they were trying to require pharmacists and blah, 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 but it, it, it didn't work. Okay. Because the people wanted something different. And the, and the genie is out of the bottle and you can't put it back in. So I, like I say, now is the time for all good people to stand up for your country because we have the opportunity now to really hold our government's feet to the fire and get our country back. So I, I'm real excited. <laughs> but now, uh, Bruce, do you, do you have any uh, questions for Chris? Yes, I want to uh, explore your amazing book for a, for a bit. To accomplish all of the above, a great wedge, the, the string that might unravel everything for the benefit of the truth is the JFK's assassination. And Chris, if you, if you would talk for a minute or two about the evidence that came into your possession, how that demolishes the quote-unquote official story and how that helps shed a lot of light. It turns on a bright light about the urgent need for every American to understand how our government is compromised and how your, your, your book, your story is a dart right in the heart of, of this crucial awakening that uh, we all want. I contacted the Kennedy family initially in 96 after I was assigned. I was, I was basically contracted and brought in to help materials that Evan Lincoln had kept in her possession for years on the instructions of Bobby Kennedy. And I was the one that was put in charge of trying to breach this with the American public in a way that was multi-tiered. What I mean by that is initially I was going to gain interest in the materials that they existed 
And that was going to be done through a book. And after the book and the museum was opened, uh, so forth, and the, and the American public understood that this existed, and we'd gotten that far, it was up to me to then discuss the, uh, the assassination-related materials and what that meant. So I never got to that point. I didn't get to stage two. We barely got to stage one. And we didn't make stage one happen. But there was a lot of people involved in this. There was the uh, Russian government itself, or, the, or the, at least General Alexander Levitt and uh, the Kremlin, who was interested in pursuing and helping with this. There was uh, Mr. Reagan, who was a part of this process. And there was uh, John uh, Jr. that became part of it. Now, again, I, 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 was, I was supposed to contact the Kennedy family in 96. I did that. At the time, Caroline Kennedy took over that, that contact, and she did not want to have any discussions with me about this. She had discussed it with Ted Kennedy and realized that if she had an open discussion with me or a meeting with me, that she'd be compromised. And anytime she was vetted by the Senate or anybody else, she'd have, if she was questioned about this, she'd have to bring it up. So therefore, at the time, they declined. They did not want to have this information thrust upon them at that particular time. John was not given that information then, which he disclosed to me later. And uh, subsequently, we had discussed this between ourselves uh, and what it meant. Now, what was, what was so important for John was that the, some of the evidence that I had fell outside of a deed of gift that Bobby Kennedy had come up with with the GSA. A deed of gift had to do with the evidence in the, uh, in the assassination or the materials from the assassination that had to be turned over to the U.S. government or the FBI for classification or destruction. Now, let me say that again. Classification or destruction which the Secret Service was also part of this process. The fact remained that uh, some of this stuff, some of these materials were kept by Bobby Kennedy in his efforts to determine who and what was behind the death of his brother and the subsequent coup that had taken place in the United States. He had to make explanations to not only the Russian government, but other people, and what had happened and where we were going, what that meant. So uh, again, I was the one that was uh, put in charge of these materials. Now, let me tell you specifically to answer your question, I had the wristwatch that President Kennedy had worn that day that was not accounted for. They, did not, they weren't aware that he was having that uh, on his possession that, that morning. The rest of the items that he had on his person were, were accounted for. Now, this, this was part of Lyndon Johnson's process and his Secret Service people, and that watch was very important for many reasons. One, it, uh, it showed that Lyndon Johnson was complicit in part of the assassination, having foreknowledge of this and so forth, and that he had participated in this uh, endeavor. Second, it had physical evidence on the, on the piece itself. It had four different types of striations on the crystal, which was shock shatters. That, there was a mil munition that hit him, military munition, exploding round, frangible. It caused those shock shatters. It also bent the hands inside the watch. The impact was so dramatic. There was also on the back of the watch, which I did not discuss in the book, a piece of that frangible round went behind the watch and scraped it on the back, which gave, it, which gave direction to the round that hit him in the head. That watch was brought back specific through the Secret Service and then, and then taken back to Bobby Kennedy directly, along with a couple other pieces that he wanted to keep to show the complicity of Lyndon Johnson and his Secret Service people. One of those items was a, uh, was a piece that President Kennedy kept in his wallet, which was removed. He, was, he did not have access to his wallet that, that morning. He would have worn it on his, in his breast pocket, which was a large St. Christopher money clip, which was also kept and not put in President's grave, but was kept as evidence as being uh, removed by the Secret Service that morning. These items were transferred to Jackie Kennedy and then on to Evelyn Lincoln for their protection because Bobby Kennedy was under attack by the Johnson administration, by the FBI, Hoover. He had to turn over these materials, again, for classification and destruction.
Bobby Kennedy came up with a very clever wording of this saying any materials that you have in your possession current, I turn over right title and interest. But anything that I'm holding falls outside of the deed of gift. That's what makes the materials so important. It made them dangerous to the United States government and it changed the official story. Another item that I had was the second autopsy, which claimed to be burned. It was not burned. The second autopsy was uh, signed over to Bobby Kennedy directly by General uh, or uh, Admiral Berkeley as evidence and how the construction, the evidence changed in his brother's death and how the official autopsy was going to read on the third copy. The second copy was different. The second copy mentioned the frangible round and the exit through the neck. This was confiscated again when we got arrested or I got arrested to take it in. This was confiscated by the FBI and was classified. It does not appear anywhere. It has, it's on one list in the National Archives that shows that it existed and shows that it was confiscated. But that's all you see. I tell people I didn't look at that material very closely, but I did look at it. I know what it said, and I stuck to that kind of idea in my book. What I said in my book reflected what that autopsy had, had said. And then they came up with a third generation, which changed the story again. But the autopsy itself is evidence in the fact that they were manipulating the story and changing it ongoing as it, as it was occurring. Of course, that kind of material could not be su submitted as evidence, and it would never be submitted as evidence. The only thing that, could, that was a concern was that we, where this evidence would be taken by the attorney general in Texas, and, then new, and a murder case would be reopened there. This was not what we were planning on doing, but that was one of the concerns that they had. John was going to run for office. He was also looking for political clout and power, the, some of the stuff that he had in his possession. Some of that evidence that I transferred was being utilized. He wanted to get political power and run for office so that he could make some changes to the agenda. He did not want to open up a, a case in Texas because that would have caused all hell on break and the powers that be would have gone to war. And of course, they were going to do everything they could to stop that. The FBI would have had to cooperate and Justice Department would have had to cooperate with that investigation, but it would have been hell on earth. They weren't going to let that happen. So John took another path and a more discreet path. And of course, that discreet path that we were on cost us all uh, a great deal. They tried to murder me twice. I did not write about that in my book. I was put in prison. That needs to be discussed a lot too, what happened there and the people that I met there and what, what, what was taking place to make sure that I would not speak about this and the official story would stay the official story and, the, and Bush would get into uh, the White House. So uh, I had to agree to, uh, to shut my mouth, protect my family, and I had a chance to survive. Prison really saved my life. If I hadn't been inside, I probably they would have killed me uh, directly on the outside. Of course, they attempted that one time. They came very close, and uh, I was DOA at the scene, but I've, somehow I lived. And that was witnessed by uh, several official people. But the fact of the matter is, is they had to go through the process. They had to extradite me. They had to put me in prison, and they had to debrief me. That was the key. I was never going to see the inside of a public courtroom. I was never going to be able to put Oval Office recordings in as evidence. I was never going to be allowed to do any of that. I was going to sit there in a maximum security holding facility for 20 years unless I agreed to uh, capitulate. Of course, I insisted that my family be protected and that I was protected from prosecution worldwide from the Russian side as well. Of course, the Russians have been involved in this. And I was given immunity on all of this and all this national security information that I was exposed to and that I could move forward, do my time quietly and get out. But as I had my children, I decided this is wrong. I can't sit idly by and, and watch the lies continue to be perpetrated about this. The storyline doesn't even exist. My storyline was totally erased. And I thought this is not right to the people that perished, especially to John Jr. that was taken out uh, over all of this. John was pushing the envelope on several avenues uh, 
including the money chain and how this was going to be exposed and how he's going to manipulate this for, for gaining power. And uh, what, we, what we've done in our country is wrong. We've become our own enemy. Everything that we've done in efforts to protect ourselves and our democracy has been subverted. And now we've become what we've tried to protect ourselves from, an absolute power around the world with no oversight. No one is uh, there to uh, check and balance these individuals that have enormous amounts of our taxpayers' money, drug money and other money all over the world being used for purpose for agenda to the highest, to the highest bidders of the people that have the most power. Now, this, this whole coalition that's in effect now includes our government, includes Silicon Valley, includes the Department of Defense, includes the CIA. And believe me when I tell you, their loyalty is not necessarily to the people of the United States. In fact, it's to an agenda. The people of the United States are just somebody that people that are in the way. They have to step aside, lose their constitutional rights and everything else so that this agenda can be perpetrated or we get destroyed. It's our choice. I don't think that's a very good choice. And I don't think the American people deserve to be treated like children and lied to continually when we're the ones supporting this system. Amen. We're supporting our own demise. What goes on behind the curtain just is, is quite amazing. You know, but again, I, I, I really am quite hopeful. And I think now's the time and we can take our country back and give our children a better future. Uh, any, any, last, any last words, any last things you'd like to uh, put out there? And of course, you know, if people want to learn more about this, they can get uh, Chris's book called The Inheritance. It's up at Amazon. It's up at Trine Day. Uh, wherever good books are sold, you can, you can find it. And books are amazing things. You know, they just kind of sit there kind of silently. But books change people's lives all the time. People need the right information so that we can understand where we've been so that we can get to where we need to be for our children. And I agree. I, I, agree. I, I just so appreciate your courage and your understanding to, uh, to do this because uh, you could have, uh, you could have just shut your mouth. I'm sure there's a couple of people who say, why doesn't Christopher just shut his mouth? You know, but uh, I, I really thank you. And, I, and I'm honored to uh, publish your book. I appreciate that. I was invited to, I, I wanted, well, I was not invited. I was asked to go talk to the White House, to the Clintons on this before I talked to Mr. Balk of the Secret Service. I was instructed to talk to Mr. Balk of the Secret Service, but I, but the White House wanted to get to me first and they wanted to compromise me. Now, I was aware that Hillary Clinton had a CSI clearance from CIA and was, was involved with the CIA, and I did not want to speak to her at the time she was in the White House. I didn't want to be compromised in that way. I wanted to go directly to who I was instructed to go to, to get this out to the American public. And that was our agenda. And again, the American public knows so little about the reality of, of our country and, and who's running it, what's going on. You know, one of the things that John and I had discussed that I didn't put in the book is that the OSS agendas, the initial ideas of assassination, manipulation of governments, overthrowing of governments, false uh, propaganda, manipulation of the press, all of these dirty tactics were initially put together for foreign countries so that the democracy of the United States could stay secure. John and I discussed the fact that they were never supposed to be turned to the inside of the country for our own demise. And that's exactly what we have now. John also said, which I did put in the book, that he didn't want his children growing up in America that he could no longer recognize. And the fact that his children may be enslaved to this system at some point, mine too. So we've put our lives on the line for that exact purpose. And I still hear today 
by the good grace of God or by luck to be able to, to uh, speak about this. But my, my idea is before they uh, shut me down in some capacity that I get this out in completion in one form that the American people can see at one time. And then they can make decisions based on that and they can do their own homework, check out what I say, check out the documents that I'm talking about, listen uh, with your own ears, and then make a decision based on that. I think it'd be shocking for a lot of people. It certainly was for me when I was waking up to all this uh, early on, and knowing how we really operate now, who really runs this country. And uh, believe me, if we were that compromised in 1962, where were we now? And this is uh, this what needs to be explored by, by all of us. We, the people, don't rely on, don't rely on outside. My best advice is don't rely on outside sources. Rely on yourself. Put faith in yourself. Put faith in your fellow man. Put faith in that your American that will stand with you and stand next to you. Try to make a better world for all of us. Each one of us can make a difference if we try. And if we make a small difference altogether, we can make a huge impact. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Bruce, Thank for your you. time. I appreciate it. Onward.